0: Mountain? How's everybody doing? My first time to, to, to see you all in this way, so Happy New Year. All right. That was lame. Okay. Happy New Year. Yeah, pick me up a little bit. Um, so, you know, one of the things we kind of have as a tradition around here when we get rolling into a new year, sometime in the first few weeks, we just want to pause and just say, thank you, God, for what he has done in our midst in the previous year. And it was just an amazing year at Mountain, and he has blessed us in so many ways. We want to take one minute and do that right now. Just, you know, uh, we had a couple exercises this week with some leaders of the church, and we had a big whiteboard, and we just said, what are some of the ways that, that God just showed up and did something amazing at our church? And we started writing, and you know, before long, the whiteboards were just filled. People were like, this was the year that, you know, the, this, the fallen officers gave us an opportunity to serve and bless the community. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wrote it down. This is the year we had like 370 baptisms, each of them representing something important in somebody's life. This is the year we crossed over 5,000 people that average here are together on one of our campuses every single weekend, and just on and on and on. You know, I just got this story, uh, uh, not a story, but I mean just those little welcome cards. When you write, some of these just... Burden my heart. This one, just I won't read the name, but just said, you know, I've been away from God and out of church for a long time, but I need to come back because I realize I can't live without the Lord in my life, and I need the communion of people at Mountain. Please pray for me that I will come back and that I will let God love me. And I, I just thought that story summarizes the experience of so many people this last year at Mountain who began a journey with God again. Uh, Over 12,000 people here for our Christmas services, which were unbelievable and great. Celebrate Recovery this year, celebrated 10 years, and so many more people finding their way uh, new marriage ministry that's just taking off, and then all the ways that we just said during Unleash Love. We're going to unleash more love, more prayer, more ministry, more generosity, just so many great things. And we just need to step back once in a while and say, thank you, God, that we get to be a part of that and so much more cool stuff out ahead. And then Christmas offering at the end of the year, this special over and above gift if you wanted to give, we said there's some new work that needs to happen for some kids in Kenya. Can we, what can we do for there? And there's some new work that needs to happen in Edgewood for some kids through Extreme Family Outreach, want to bless them and get that thing happening after school program and some new people we want to reach through a new campus at mountain and mountain people get this y'all gave ninety four thousand dollars for our christmas offering so we're going to pump that into ministry and every dime of it so that's really really fun and cool we just have to step back once in a while we have a mantra around here that we always say it's from psalm 118 23 goes like this the lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes not wow god look at all the stuff we did Is it marvelous in your eyes? It's like, no, 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 other way around. God's done it, and we're the ones who marvel and just say, thank you, God. So one more time, let's just thank God for what a great year it was, and uh, let's see what he does next. So um, we're going to jump into the message today. It's a series that we're doing called Fake ID. Um, It got me to thinking about nicknames. I know it's the beginning of a year. And a lot of you um, are desperately out of shape, and so you have been thinking about going back to the gym. And you know, when you go to the gym, you need you need some new clothes. You need to look the part because you don't really you know you're not gonna be there long, and you wanna um, you know <laughs> you you also need a nickname. And people at the gym don't actually know each other. They just refer to each other with these little snide, made-up nicknames based on what they observe. You know how this works, right? So I did some research. I have some help for you. All you people are heading back to the gym. Here's how you can decide your new nickname. Here's how it works. Simple chart. Use your first name, initial, and that gives you the first part of your nickname. And then the second, your birthday month, so you might become like jacked selfie star, That's a good nickname, isn't it? So my nickname at the gym would be Skull Crushing McStairs-A-Lot. So I did some work and I thought about some of our staff and you know what? They actually all fit really well. Like Rob Castens, when he shows up at the gym, like that'll ever happen, his nickname would be Tantastic Creepy Sweatpants. It's like perfect. I mean, this is like eerie how similar this is. So Eric Olson, uh, you know, here's Eric, okay. His nickname at the gym, Pumped Shower Stalker. (laughs) That fits. You thought this was Sarah Willie. No, no, no. This is Grunting Texter Chick. (laughs) And Tracy Olson is Peeled Shorty Shorts. Nice. My personal favorite, you'll find him over by the really heavy weights. The artist formerly known as Kirk Boland shall hithermore be known as Buffy McGruntington. So there you go. So... We're calling this series Fake ID because, you know, sometimes we kind of forget who we are and we forget whose we are. So we're going to the scriptures for some help, kind of get our head on straight about who we are and whose we are. We've looked at some people whose whole name have been changed, Abraham and Peter. And today I just want to invite you to be as honest as you can be with yourself before God about your life. Take a deep breath and kind of let down whatever pretense you have. And if we can just be honest today and admit to ourselves maybe and to God that some of us uh, feel kind of empty sometimes, and maybe even now is one of those times. Sometimes we feel bitter. Life is hard. Maybe it's because of some circumstances, something that's happened in your life, recently or a long time ago. Or maybe because something didn't happen and you're waiting for it to happen. For a lot of different reasons, many of us aren't rolling into 2017 all happy clappy with a new nickname at the gym. The weights we're lifting are the same old ones and they're not making us stronger, they're burdening us. And sometimes you can just wonder... Is this just who I am now? Is this the way my life's always going to be? Can anything change for me? Is there hope for me? Does God know? Does He care about what's going on with my empty or bitter situation? So open your Bible to the book of Ruth, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, or get it on your Palm Pilot. We're going to cover a lot of Scripture today. Actually, we're going to cover the whole book of Ruth, which is four short chapters, and you're going to discover that it's a story, and it's, it's got other names in it, but it's your story and mine. Our ID is in this, this book as well. And we'll see what we can find in here, see if there might be any hope for us. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Let's jump in right there. <clears throat> In the days when the judges ruled, you remember if you know your Old Testament books, Joshua Judges Ruth, that's where it appears in the Bible, Old Testament, right after that period of time, there was a famine in the land, remember that word, and so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. We're about to meet a family. Uh, the, The name of the place where they live should sound familiar. What is the name of the place? Bethlehem should sound familiar, same Bethlehem about Je- that Jesus was born in. You, you, you need to know the name Bethlehem means house of bread. That's what the word means. And so you see the irony here. There's a famine in the house. Of, there's no bread in the house of bread. It's empty. And so their lives are empty. This is serious business. It's not like, oh, my gosh, there's a snowflake and there are safe ways out of milk. This is serious, no food. And so their lives become hard, and they become refugees leaving their home Seeking refuge somewhere else to get full again with their life. And then we are introduced to the, the people in the story. Next verse says, the, uh, the man's name was Elimelech. Want to try it? Elimelech. I always think of the lion sleeps tonight. Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech. That's his name. You'll remember, forget it now. Elimelech. And his wife's name was not, no, Amy. It was what? Naomi. Right. Something else you need to know that you would miss in English. And that is that in Hebrew, the the word or name Naomi means pleasant. It means happy, blessed, full, satisfied, pleasant, Naomi. Remember that. Uh, She's got two sons with Elimelech, Elimech, and uh, their sons are Malon and Kilion. You can forget their names. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they had to go over to Moab to live there. So we meet this faithful Jewish family, people of God. They lived happily ever after on Pleasant Street. No. They're doing the right things. They're loving God. They're just trying to do the best they can. And circumstances around them get pretty terrible. And they have to go to this awful place called Moab where pagans lived, and they won't be understood. No one will know their culture, what they like to eat. But they'll be outsiders. They won't be accepted. And, and it's, like, it's like having to move to Cleveland or something like that. I'll get letters for that, I'm sure. (laughs) Sometimes in life you find yourself where you don't want to be. And that's what's going on here. So things were bad in Bethlehem. And then they're worse in Moab, because it's Moab. And it's about to get even worse. Verse 3. Now, Elimelech, remember him? He died. Such a tragedy to lose your spouse. So Naomi is not full and pleasant. And happy anymore. And all she's got left is her two sons. And they married Moabite women. Great. Well, at least they're married, even if they are Moabites. So she has these foreign daughters-in-law, and one of them's name was Orpah Winfrey. <laughs> no, it's, it's Orpah. And the other one's name is what? Ruth. So before, before they got this daughter-in-law and their family, their family was ruthless. (laughs) So then after a decade, tragedy strikes again, and both of Naomi's sons die. We don't know how, maybe a disease, maybe cancer, maybe a farm accident, maybe got hit by an ice cream truck, we don't know. But there she is, she's left alone with no husband and no sons. We need to pause and remind ourselves why this is such a big deal In the ancient culture, we take it for granted today. A woman can thrive and be successful and independent, but that was not the case in the ancient Near Eastern cultures. You needed a man. You had to be attached to a man to survive, to own land, to to have a future, to perpetuate the family name, to have security, to have identity, to have provision, to have protection. You were dead without a man. If your husband died, you better have sons, and now she's lost them all. She's destitute. And these three women alone are clinging to each other. Picture three gals living together in a row home down in Baltimore wondering when the landlord's going to kick them out because they can't pay their rent. They're vulnerable, and there they are. Miss Pleasant doesn't have a very pleasant, full life. So Naomi gets word that back home in Bethlehem, things are greening up and the crops are back, and she says, I'm out of here. I'm going back. There's nothing for me here. I'm destitute here. I've got to go back and try to get among my people and hope for the best. And oddly, the Moabite daughters from that area, daughters-in-law, they said, well, we want to go with you. And so they pack up their meager possessions and they head back toward Judah, toward Bethlehem. And just as they start out, as they get out on that dirt road, Naomi stops and she says, wait, this is nice of you to offer to come with me. Thank you, sweet of you girls. But really, I'm not even your mother. Go home to your own mother and to your own people. Uh, Go find husbands of your own or you'll be as bad off as I am. I know what it's like to be an outsider and a widow and and it's terrible. It's empty. You don't want it. And the Bible says that Naomi kissed those two girls goodbye and they wept loudly together. The girls, Orpah and Ruth, said, no, Naomi, we want to go with you to your people. And she puts her foot down. Naomi does, says, no, go home. Verse 11, return home, my daughters. Why would you want to come with me? Look at me. Am I going to have any more sons who can become your husbands, you think? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, you're going to wait until they grow up and become your husbands? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than you know. You're widows. I realize that's bad, but at least you're young, and you can get married. You can have a child, and you live in Moab. You can have a happy life. I can't. And then she says, the Lord's hand is turned against me. Get away from me. She looks at her life. And her cup is so empty, she feels so much pain and hurt that she comes to the conclusion that God has abandoned her. God has held his hand against her. And in that kind of sad, pathetic moment of hopelessness, there's more crying. Verse 14, they wept aloud again. And Orpah says goodbye, kissed her mother-in-law and heads back to Moab, but Ruth clung to her. Can you see it? Ruth clinging to Naomi in their tears, and again Naomi tries again to get her to turn back. Ruth, go home, go back with Orpa, like Samwise Gamchi says to Frodo in Lord of the Rings. Ruth says, "I'm going with you on this journey," and it's what follows is one of the most precious and powerful expressions of friendship and loyalty. And commitment you'll find in any place in literature as Ruth just says I'm going with you Naomi and if you have ever been in your life in a place where your cup is empty and you're hurting and scared and have an unpleasant thing in front of you you are a blessed person if you've ever had someone say something like Ruth says like I know you're hurting but I'm here with you and I'm not going anywhere It's a powerful way that God shows His faithfulness to us. Which is why these words that Ruth speaks are very often used in weddings as a powerful statement of fidelity and loyalty. Look at the words. Ruth chapter 1 verse 16 and following. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me, Naomi. I'm not going anywhere except with you. And you get to see here this little light break into Naomi's situation, even though I don't know that she recognizes it. God is the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And Ruth is so godlike in this moment, reminding her of God's presence. And very often it's that way in our lives. When you are most hurting, you feel the presence of God through the arms and the tears and the words of real people with skin on. And it's a beautiful picture of faithfulness. And it's no surprise that the word used in the Bible... To describe Ruth in this chapter, in Hebrew is the word chesed. It means loving kindness, faithfulness. It's the Bible's favorite word to describe God. Ruth is so much like God. Do you see it? Even in Naomi's worst nightmare, she's receiving love and faithfulness and grace and blessing. She can't see it yet, but God's blessing her through Ruth. But because it came from a person and in a way she wasn't expecting, she couldn't even see it. She doesn't know it. She can't feel it. There's too much pain. But God is already responding to Naomi's empty cup through Ruth. Look what happens next. Verse 19. The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they get there, all these years later... Everyone's shocked to see Naomi. They didn't have Facebook to keep up, so they're kind of, she probably looks weathered and worn, and where's her husband, and, and who's this Moabite gal with her? And they see her, and they go up to this bedraggled Naomi, and they say, Naomi, is that you? Look at her response, verse 20. She says, don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara. You remember what Naomi means? Pleasant, happy, full, blessed. You know what Mara means? Bitter, empty, sad. Don't call me mishappy. Call me bitter. That's who I am now. Oh, I went away full, but I've come away empty. And God did it. The Lord afflicted me. He's brought misfortune. I'm not blessed. I'm bitter. And it's God's fault. Maybe you've felt that. Maybe you've said that. Interesting to note, isn't it, that when we become bitter, one of the things that usually happens is we start blaming. When you become bitter, you start blaming. You point fingers. And so one of the things that happens when you get bitter is you start pointing at everyone else. You did this, and it's your fault. Maybe she's mad at her husband for up and dying on her. Maybe she's mad at the guy who accidentally killed her son. We don't know. She's pointing a finger at God. She's blaming God. But the other thing that happens when we get bitter is that we... We begin to also think a lot about ourselves. We blame others, but we focus on ourselves. Pain makes us selfish. You don't, you don't believe me, try dropping a 15-pound weight right on your toe and think about something else for the next few minutes. Right? It's all you can think about. And that's what's going on with Naomi. And that's what it's like when your cup is empty. If I can just be really honest with you, the timing of this message uh, is appropriate and good for me, because I haven't been feeling like my cup's very full recently. And part of that is just because physically I I got real worn down, and then I got sick, barely made it through Christmas Eve services. Felt miserable on Christmas Day, hacking up gunk and sinuses screaming and head aching and body just hurting. Merry Christmas, whatever. When you're sick, worn out physically, it does have a way of kind of connecting or reminding how you may be feeling that way in other parts of your life too. Carla's like, can I get you anything? No, go back to your own people had a few Naomi moments. (laughs) Wanted to crawl under a blanket and die, but instead the day after Christmas we got on a plane and went to Iowa and Minnesota. In my mind I wanted to be riding high and everything that had happened at Mountain and amazing Christmas services and being with my family and all those things I love, but honestly I just felt sort of flat. And we went to the cabin, my favorite place on the planet with some of my favorite people. But Just felt sort of flat there too. Part of that might have been because it was 22 below. <laughs> Dark at 4 o'clock. You know, winter can be kind of hard. I was driving around up there trying to show off to my son Andrew about what a great driver I am, showing my four-wheel drive prowess, watch this, and then promptly put the car in a snowbank, buried it, couldn't get it out, shoveled for an hour deep in snow, 15 below, had to have a lady in a pickup, yank me out. Nana threw my back out, <laughs> flew home, drove home, couldn't even move my arms a week ago at this time. Winter can be hard, and sometimes we go through seasons of life, and there are winter seasons in life. Now, there's spring, where everything's happy and growing and fresh and new and exciting. And there's summer, where it's beautiful and fun and light and breezy. And there's fall, where you're enjoying harvest of hard work you've done and enjoying the fruit and benefit of stuff. But friends, sometimes there's such a thing as a winter season in life. And it's just dark and hard and cold and dead. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, maybe you're in winter right now. But it seems like spring will never come. Maybe your winter uh, is for the same reasons of Naomi's. You know, she had financial struggles. She was alone. Maybe it's for the same reasons she had because you wonder if you'll ever be accepted, even with the people you live with. Maybe you're a widow or a widower or a divorce or your parents' divorce. Winter can happen because of depression, anxiety, anger, frustration, unresolved conflict. Physical issues, our insecurity, our guilt, all of it can, can muster up inside. We're all like Naomi. We find ourselves sometimes in winter with empty cups, even feeling hopeless and bitter. And it's easy to blame others and focus on our pain and be pretty sure it's God's fault. We just need to acknowledge that it's okay to be that honest. You know, when Naomi says, My life stinks. And it's God's fault. The Bible doesn't put a footnote in here that says, she should not have said that. (laughs) No. Apparently it's okay for her to say it. And if it's okay for her to say it, maybe it's okay for you to say it too. The important thing is to keep it real. It doesn't make it true. But it's important to keep it real. I grew up in Minnesota. I've learned a few things about winter. Winter. Here's one thing I've learned about winter it's a season. It's a season. Seasons come, seasons go. It's always followed by spring. Even in Minnesota, where winter starts about August 1st and ends about May 15th, (laughs) winter does end. One day you go outside and the eaves are dripping, and you're like, the frozen roof, it's dripping. And you know what it means. And that's true in our life, the Bible says. And you can count on it. Weeping, the weeping of winter lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There's always the season coming behind it. And God is at work in ways we cannot see. Last year, I remember the day, looking out my office window, dead of winter, I thought, and there in my yard, those little crocuses and daffodils had sprung up. It's like, dang, you want to call someone like you've never seen it in your life? Look at this! Because you know what it means. And you know what it points to. It's a sign of spring. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose that will happen this spring? Yeah, it will. Which means that right now, there's stuff happening underground that you can't see. I don't know what's happening there, but Something's germinating or something's growing underground. All you see is the crusty, snowy surface, but there's stuff invisible in the middle of winter. How do you know? How do you know that that's happening? How do you know that stuff's going to happen this spring? How do you know? Well, you don't. But you're taking it on faith, but it's not blind faith. Your faith is based on the fact that last spring it happened and the spring before that 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 and the spring before that. that. Winter is a season, my friends, and that's what the Bible is trying to say to you. God is faithful through all generations and you can trust even if you can't see that he is at work, invisible beneath the ground, even in the middle of winter. Even if your eyes are so filled with tears that you cannot see the hand of God at work, you can know that he is. Is at work because you can't see God because you don't, he doesn't show up how you want him to or when you want him to, doesn't mean he's not there, doesn't mean he's the one bringing calamity, doesn't mean that he doesn't exist. It just means it's winter. Life is hard, but God is good. And so, friends, when you're locked in the dead of winter, and we all are eventually. And your soul is dying and your heart is crying and it's the dark night of the soul and your spirit is withering and you're depressed or you're sad or you're mad or you're angry or the blanket is there and you can't get out from under it or it just hurts and you you keep dropping those 15-pound things on your feet and your soul is barren and your relationships aren't working and your finances are frustrating and for whatever reason you're just thinking my cup is empty, will winter never end? In that moment you can say what we sang today, it is well with my soul. Because God is at work for the good of those who love Him, great is His faithfulness, and I'm waiting on spring, and that's what faith looks like. Now, I kind of ruined some of the story, because I told you where we're going, but let's get back to it anyway. Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. I want to mention this, because it's the last little tip-off before chapter 1 ends. Everything's bad, everything's terrible, let's go home and die. Except this one little verse at the end of the first chapter, which says this. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem, oh, as the barley harvest was just beginning. You see how it's a tip-off, it's a foreshadowing, it's a hint of things to come. Here's a woman who's empty. She left the house of bread because there was nothing, but now she's coming home and it's harvest time. Something's about to happen. Ruth, chapter 2, verse 1. A little bit of background information before we resume the story. The author lets us hear this. Now, Naomi happened to have a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing, which means cash, from the clan of Elimelech, 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 whose name was what? Not Bozo, Boaz. Boaz. Remember that name because he's a rich relative. And it's always important to remember the names of your rich relatives. And God is going to use Boaz, the rich relative who's from the family of Elimelech, to say to Naomi, I got you. And so now that they're back in Bethlehem, I love the fact that they don't just sit on their hands. They don't just sit there and go, well, we came home. Oh, I wonder what miracle God's going to do. No. We keep saying it around here. You've got to do the right thing. You've got you to gotta do what only you can do to give space for God to do what only God can do. And that's how God shows up, and that's what Ruth does. She remembers the Old Testament law that God had said, "There's make a provision for, for the poor people. Farmers, when you go out, you're going to leave some stuff behind by accident. You're going to dribble some, some barley and stuff. on. You leave it there, and the poor people will come, and that's called gleaning. They're going to pick it up and take it home, and you let them, because that's the way we're going to do it. So the farmers are out there, so Ruth says, I guess I've got to go gleaning. And so there she goes, chapter 2, verse 3. She went out to a certain field, just happened to pick a field. Oh, let's go with that one, just happenstance. Went to that field, she began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, makes it look like just an absolute sort of accident, wink, wink. She just so happened to find herself working in this field that just so happened to belong to a guy named what? Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. What a coincidence. What a blind stroke of sheer luck. Verse 4. And just at that very moment, wouldn't you know it, that Boaz just happened to be showing up from Bethlehem. Imagine the timing of that. Hmm. He greeted the harvesters. Lord be with you. They're like, Lord be with you. And then he sees Ruth. Who's that? Verse 5. Boaz asked the boss man, who's that woman over there? Small town. And the overseer replied, well, she's the Moabite, came back with Naomi, and she asked if she could glean. We said, sure, and boy, she's a hard worker. She's a good one, Boaz. Boaz goes up to Ruth, and the two of them have this cool conversation. He just says, you're welcome here any ma'am. You can glean in my fields anytime you want. In fact, I'm going to tell the guys, take care of you. You want some water? Here's some food. Here's some lunch. You eat with us, and you just glean every day you want to. And she's like, oh, thank you. I don't deserve any of that. You're so kind. He's like, well, I've heard about you. You're a good one. You took care of your mother. You're so faithful, and I know why you're here. You're here because your cup was empty, and you're looking for shelter under the shadow of God's wings, and I believe he's going to answer that prayer, even as he he himself is beginning to answer that prayer. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. She breathes a sigh of relief and says, you're so kind. And we see that she receives this undeserved mercy and love. You know what that's called when you receive undeserved mercy and love? What's What's the word for that? Grace. Grace is again in the picture. God is using Boaz to bring grace into Ruth's life, to fill her cup, literally, with barley, but in so many more ways, and it's going to spill over into Naomi's. But I'm getting ahead of myself again. Back to the story. He loads her up with a bunch of stuff and smiles at her, and off she goes, and she gets home, and and Naomi's like, where you been, girl? She's like, I've been out gleaning. and I met a man named Boaz. Verse 20, Naomi says, first time we see a smile on her face. The Lord bless that guy, Boaz. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man, by the way, you know, is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. He's one of our family redeemers. It's a concept in that culture that meant wealthy family member who had the option of rescuing family members if they were destitute. He's the one who who could be that guy. There's grace breaking into the situation. Something happening underground cup is starting to look a little different. Ruth, she doesn't just sit on her hands. She does what only she can do. It's to give God space to do what only God can do. I love it. They come up with a plan. They know that everyone's going to go out to the threshing floor. It's a community event. It's harvest time. Everyone heads out of town, and they do this thing where they throw the barley up in the air, and the wind blows all the chaff away, and then the stuff lands, and it's a big deal, and everyone shows up. They know Boaz will be there. Naomi says to Ruth, you've got to get your cute on, girl. Puts a perfume on. Get your best dress on. Let's clean you up. Put a corset on, whatever you need to do. And you go make your move. And so she waits till Boaz is there and he's happy and he's been eating and he's got some liquor in him and he goes to bed and he falls asleep and she lies down right next to him. And in the middle of the night, he wakes up and says, What? Who? What? Huh? And she says, Will you be my guardian redeemer? It's a, it's a marriage proposal. And he says, I will if I can. And chapter 3, is all about him taking care of the legalities and working at it. There was another guy who had first option, and he kind of talked him out of it. And the next thing you know, the door is opened for them to marry. In chapter 4, verse 13, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Verse 14, and the women of the town, Ho ho, ho. Naomi, Naomi. Praise the Lord who this day has not left you without a Redeemer. Naomi, you said you was empty. You're not empty. Naomi, you said you were dead. Doesn't look like it. Naomi, you said winter would never end. Naomi, there is a Redeemer. There is life. And it's right on time, Naomi. You said God was against you. But look, He's not against you. He's blessed you. You're not Mara. That's a fake ID. You are blessed. You are loved. You are precious. And he is right now renewing your life, sustaining your life. You thought you needed a man, but he gave you a daughter-in-law, and that's better than seven sons. And right now she's given birth. And there you see this beautiful picture scene. seen. Verse 16, Naomi took the child in her arms. Can you see it? This widow, this childless, this husbandless, hopeless woman, now with a baby in her arms, And tears in her eyes that allow her to see the blessing and the provision in the hand of God. Naomi has a son. God came through. Not in the way she thought. Not when she thought. Not how she thought. And The bitterness and the blaming of her winter melts into praise and new life just as it can in our life. Because of the blessing and the provision the faithfulness of God. And they named that baby, by the way, Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of the great King David. And that's why in Jesus' genealogy, Ruth is mentioned. Because through this unlikely story, God surprises with his blessings, even in the midst of bitterness. Let me give you a couple things to chew on. You might be in winter right now. Remember this. First of all, God knows. Not even a sparrow falls that he doesn't see. God cares. God cares. Hebrews says that it's a promise from God, I will never leave you or forsake you. God knows. God cares. And third, God's at work. God's active. He's doing something. You may not see it. You may not feel it. Don't let your feelings determine your faith. God knows, God cares, God's at work. Second, we've got to learn to get better at looking for God and seeing Him in the ordinary, unspectacular events of our lives. That's the whole book of Ruth. There's no great miracle here that we can see. Now, the narrator helps us see how God was invisibly at work in ways that maybe outsiders wouldn't think it was anything. But it was God who blessed to the ordinary events of life, sometimes God does do amazing miracles. He parts the waters of the Red Sea and they walk through in dry ground. He stops the sun, you know, or, or 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 you know the pillar of cloud tells them where to go next and so forth. But but most of the time, God is at work in rather unremarkable, unspectacular, ordinary, daily events, daily people, the ordinary events of our lives. And faith is learning how to see it. There's no manna that shows up. On the ground, oh, we have provision. No, they go to work and they they pick up stuff. And in that process, God blesses them in unique ways. Ruth didn't find her husband by going to the local pool. And behold, lo, the waters of the pool parted. And walking through on a speedo was a man named Boaz who said, Babe, I shall marry thee. No, she went to work and just, she thought, just so happened to go to that field. What a coincidence. Sometimes we think that we see things are coincidences. But the eyes of faith learn to say, oh, <laughs> the author was playing with us. It didn't just so happen. That was a God incident. Just so happened to pick his field. And the Bible calls that providence. It's not coincidence. It's a God incidence, which is providence, which means God will make a way when there seems to be no way. Let me give you one more thing to think about. After we learn to see God in the invisible and know his hand is there even when we can't feel it, in the dead of winter, remember this, there is a redeemer for us too. Boaz was the redeemer, the guy that came through right on time. And we, we're in the same situation as those, those, those ladies. We, we need some help. We need someone who can come in our emotional emptiness and fill our cup. We need someone who can come and provide for us, but we can't get on our own. We're destitute in that way. And there is a redeemer for your life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and every other way. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Redeemer is Jesus. And you don't have to wait for some miracle for him to reveal himself. He's already done it. The miracle was when he came in ordinary flesh, lived, died, rose again. And the miracle is that just like Boaz wanted Ruth, he wants you. And he buys you with his love, the price of his son. He waits for you and longs for you and blesses you and pours grace in your life when we don't deserve it. We have a Redeemer, and His name is Jesus. So trust Him. Lean into Him. Receive His love, and pray simply, God, fill my cup. Bring spring to my life. And He will. I want to end in a way that, I don't know, is probably going to strike some of you as sort of cheesy, but I think it will mean something to some of you. It means a lot to me, so... I want to end by just offering you a prayer that is actually a song. It's an old song, one I grew up with. My mama used to sing it. and It has become for me a prayer that I find myself bring at various moments. And so I offer it to you to be a prayer And so as we just bow our heads, I'm going to try to sing it. I can't sing, but I'll try it. It's very short and brief. And if you want to hold your hand out as a symbol of your life, a cup, you might be one of those people whose cup in this moment is overflowing. Bless you. Just love on others and bless others and let your joy just bubble over. But if you're like one of those people whose cup is not so full right now, or maybe empty, then you just let this become your prayer with me. And you can hold out your hand or hold out your life as we do. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting in my soul. Bread of heaven. Feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. That's our simple prayer, God. You are strong, we are weak. You are Lord, you are cornerstone. You are the one who can fill our cup. We trust you with all of our heart. Help us to lean on You and acknowledge Your ways to direct our paths. Fill our cup in Jesus' name. Amen.